Good morning. Good morning. Uh, it's good to see the. It's good to see you this morning. Happy New Year to each of you. Welcome back to some of you. I know that some were traveling, and so I want to welcome you back. I know that some are out sick today, uh, so I congratulate and commend you for surviving whatever it is that's out there and is taking, it seems like, more and more people uh, by the day. So anyway, welcome. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad to be here with you. And I'm glad to consider what God would have for us today and this year, uh, what He would want to say to us today. And I want to just remind all of us, each one of you, that I want us to, um, to just be, be mindful of the fact that God has something to say, that He is still speaking, praise God for that, and that He has something to say today. And I believe that he has something to say to you today. So with that, will you take your Bible, please, and meet me in uh, the book of Hebrews, chapter 10. Hebrews, chapter 10. Last Sunday evening, people all over the world bade farewell to one year and welcomed another. Friends and family gathered to share food and drink and and life together. Some checked in early, already well asleep as the clock struck midnight, while others counted in unison as the final seconds of 2017 gave way to 2018. A new year, new beginnings, new opportunities, new resolutions. A recent survey reveals that 68% of the population has made New Year's resolutions. Uh, How many of you have some New Year's resolution? Okay, not quite 68%, but some. And though the top three resolutions are not new, not at all new, diet, exercise, and financial soundness continue to top the list. The chance at change certainly brings renewed commitment, does it not? And yet this newfound resolve, brimming with excitement, as so many of us have experienced in years past, is often met by disappointment as we soon realize that change can be harder than we first imagined. Willpower alone won't cut it, and uh, confidence is easily shaken, For in our desire for personal involvement, we sometimes tend to forget that as the branch cannot bear fruit apart from the vine, neither can we apart from Christ. I wonder. During this time of the year when so many seek change, what is it that will remain the same? And what if our resolve to do something new actually emerged from what God has already done? Whatever it is, eating better, exercising more, growing more responsible financially, reading more, having regular devotions, doing community service, 
whatever our resolutions may be, what if they grew out of healthy relationships with God and one another? If we pushed aside our individualized, self-reliant tendencies to trust God instead, might we experience greater and longer-lasting change together? And I ask these questions with this morning's scripture in mind, a passage that simply speaks to a Christian's confidence and to a Christian's community. As we gather on this first Sunday of the new year, we, we learn here in this passage that because Jesus Christ has removed all barriers between us and God, we can live confidently before God in community together. In fact, confidence from Christ breeds community in Christ for the cause of Christ. So will you read this with me? Let's read it together. Chapter, uh, Hebrews chapter 10, beginning at verse 19, and I want to read through verse 25. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence, since we have confidence, we have confidence, since we have confidence, to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we, we thank you again for this opportunity. And as we gather in this place, on this day, at this time, we desire to declare your praise and to express our thanks. We praise you, God, for, for all you are and for all you've done. You are above all things and for you all things exist and for reasons that we may not fully understand you have pursued us with a love unfailing and you continue to draw us nearer and nearer to yourself you have even before the foundation of the world, you looked down the corridors of time and you called us to yourself through Jesus Christ our Lord. You transferred us from the kingdom of darkness into his kingdom of light. You, you rescued us from sin and death into salvation and life in his name. And for this, we will forever give you thanks. 
I would pray this morning in particular that the wonders and glories and blessings of these great truths would not be lost on us, but rather that you would reinforce and strengthen our confidence in the Lord, that that we would draw near to you even as you've drawn us to yourself. Would you do work in each heart today? Would you speak to each soul today? Would you identify in each life today where there is a terrible and destructive reliance upon self? And will you cause us to trust fully in Christ? And as we do that, as we trust fully in Christ today and in the days to come, will you unite us more and more, in ever-increasing measure, would you unite us as the body of Christ? That we would be the body one to another. Thank you for the many, many ways in which we have served each other and for the many, many things we hear and have heard over the years in terms of what you are doing in our midst. Even here in this congregation at East Parkway, would you continue to do that today for your name's sake? and for the good of your people here. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to notice that the passage begins with the word therefore. It's a transition word that moves us from one section of the book of Hebrews to the next. For ten plus chapters, the author has been expounding upon the glory and superiority of Jesus Christ. In chapter 1, Jesus is presented as the radiance of God's glory, divine in nature, exalted above the angels, powerfully upholding the universe. He is the founder of salvation, chapter 2, greater than Moses, chapter 3, and provides rest for the soul for those who know him, chapters 3 and 4. He is the great high priest, chapters 4 and 5 surpassing all who have served as priests, perfectly fulfilling the priestly role between God and man. In chapters 6, 7, and 8, he is the evidence of God's promise, the guarantor of a new and better covenant. The blood of Christ is sufficient to cover sin, chapter 9, for by his sacrifice alone, sins are removed once for all, chapter 10. All this and more sets the stage for our passage this morning as the author has uh, presented with great intention, has presented one piece of evidence after another to prove and show that Jesus Christ is the divine Son of God and Savior of the world. With verse 19 then, he begins to move us toward a personal response. First by underscoring two summary truths Uh, that are each marked by the words, we have. I want you to see that there in your Bible. These two we have statements undergird and support all that follows in the rest of the passage and, in fact, in the remainder of the entire book. Here we read about how we have confidence in and from Christ because we have Christ as our great priest. You see that? We have confidence in and from Christ because 
we have Christ as our great priest. In other words, the reason we can live confidently before God is because Jesus brings us to God. Jesus grants to all who follow him full and unhindered access into the presence of God, which means full enjoyment of relationship with God. Now, I know or suspect that to those of us who live at this point in history, some of the immensity of this truth may be lost on us. But previously, the presence of God was thought to dwell in the inner room of the tabernacle and later the temple. Only the Jewish high priest could enter this room, the Holy of Holies, and even then only one day per year, the Day of Atonement. After a series of sacrifices and ceremonial duties, only then could he approach God on behalf of the people of Israel. And we need to know that it was a somber day. It was a very sobering day marked by fear and trepidation as sins were recalled and sacrifices made. But as the scripture says, the blood of these offerings could never take away sin. Only the blood of Christ. And so the eternal Christ took on human flesh and form stepped into our world and thus identified with our plight, the perfect man. He lived sinlessly before God and died as the spotless, um, sacrificial, substitutionary Lamb of God. He opened a new and living way to God for when He died on the cross, the temple curtain was torn in two. That veil that separated the Holy of Holies from everything else and kept people from free access to God was removed. That dense, multi-layered curtain was so large and thick and heavy that I read just this week that it took 300 men to move and manipulate it. This was not your living room variety curtain. And yet when Christ died, that curtain was torn from top to bottom, signifying that open access to that inner sanctum was God's work, not ours. No longer are we restricted in our communion with God. No longer are we required to offer sacrifice, for Jesus was and is the sacrifice, and we cannot add to it or take from it. Through the rending of his flesh and spilling of his blood, he himself made the way so that all who trust and follow Jesus Christ have full access to God at any moment of any day, knowing that he has atoned for their sins forever. Because of Jesus, therefore, you can have confidence, dear people, to enter in and relate with God and enjoy God without fear or dread or condemnation. Beloved, that is good news. Not only has Jesus made the way, he also leads the way and now serves as our great priest. Verse 21. So, he who secured our positional standing with God 
likewise advocates for us on an everyday practical level. For though sins have already been atoned, sin itself still rears its head and remains crouching at our door, looking for any and every opportunity to pounce. And though we are forgiven by God in Christ, our adversary the devil is relentless, is he not, in heaping guilt and accusation our way. And yet we have a great priest over the house of God, And to us, he says, I am the way. Dear East Parkway, as we enter another year together, rest assured in this. All who follow Christ have confidence before God because we have in Jesus a great priest who intercedes for us today and forever. It is an amazing thing to know that I have people in this room and even those who are not in this room. It is an amazing thing to know that I have people who are praying for me and my family on a regular basis. It is an amazing thing to know that you have people in this room and some who are not in this room who are praying for you and your family on a regular basis. That is an amazing thing. But as amazing as these things are, they pale in comparison to knowing that there is Jesus Christ who is praying for you and your family on a regular basis day by day, by day, forever. We have confidence. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, nothing you did last year, nothing you did last year, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, nothing you did last year or will do this year can change that. Because your assurance lies with him and in what he has accomplished on your behalf. These two we have statements are meant to grab our attention and solicit our response. But the application of the passage, what we do in response, only follows what God has done first. Only as the reassuring gospel-centric truths of 19 through 21 affect our hearts will verses 22 through 25 affect our lives. That bears repeating. Only as the reassuring gospel-centric truths of 19 through 21 affect our hearts will verses 22 through 25 affect our lives. We must first appreciate the confidence we have received from Christ to truly pursue and enjoy the community we have in Christ. And to us, the Christian community, the church, 
are given three very clear points of application, each marked by the words, let us. Let us draw near, verse 22. Let us hold fast, verse 23. And let us consider one another, verse 24. First, let us draw near. Near to what? Near to whom? To God. Since all obstacles, as far as God is concerned, have been removed, and because he invites you to come, come. The invitation is not for a select few who seemingly have their act together and merely need a little help. No, it's for all. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Therefore, all are in need of grace, the grace of Christ. The invitation to draw near is not for those who are righteous in their own eyes, but for those who are made righteous by faith in Jesus Christ. God desires that we go to him without hesitation or hypocrisy, but with a true heart in full assurance of faith. The issue here is trust. And I can tell you from personal and pastoral experience that too often, more times than I can remember, too often it's a lack of trust in our relationship with God that keeps us from intimacy with God. Keeps us from drawing near to Him. Keeps us at arm's length. Honestly, it's kind of like a marriage in that way. A marriage that lacks foundational trust between husband and wife inevitably lacks intimacy. On the other hand, confidence in each other's love and in the vows made in love will bring husband and wife together. And like that, we're to draw near to God just as we are and relate with Him without wearing any masks, fully assured that He accepts us on the merits of His love and promises. We draw near, it says, with hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and with bodies washed with pure water. This echoes Ezekiel 36, where God promised, I will sprinkle clean water on you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And the point is simply that when you are in Christ, you are washed clean. You are made new. The spirit of the living God resides in you. So please don't assume that you're not invited and please don't merely busy yourselves in the outer courts of religious activity. God wants that you push on into that most holy place, as it were, to enjoy and experience him personally. Listen, what good is it that Christ has made the way if you continue to stay away? For me, for me, this begins with a very simple prayer each day. Very, very basic, very, very simple, simply an expression of the heart whereby I simply thank God for the day and ask Him to help make me more aware of His presence throughout the day and more receptive to his guidance. 
God, good morning. I know you've prepared things for me today. Sometimes it means I'm not feeling it today. Tired, I'm sick, discouraged, whatever it is. So please help me to be aware that you're with me. And please make me more receptive to your guidance. I try to read my Bible daily because the Bible is where I learn about God's heart. And so we have these two things, prayer and Bible intake, which are key. Because drawing near to God is the sharing of two hearts. My heart with him and his heart with me. draw near second let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering that is don't lose your grip on what you know and believe the exhortation here to hold fast without wavering alludes to the many factors in life that tempt us to let go and give up and give in to despair Despair looms around every corner, it seems. Despair leaves us doubting and discouraged. Despair projects today's disappointments onto tomorrow and thus doubly derails us. If we're not careful, despair will shake us to the core and cripple our confidence in God. But ours, dear people, is a confession of hope not despair. Hope is just the opposite of despair and even counteracts despair. Hope allows future glory to shed much needed light on our present circumstances. At the same time, hope looks back to all that God has done in the past as a way of reminding us of what he's doing in the present. God's past faithfulness motivates present hope So that when we declare that God is faithful, we are saying that he who has kept his promises thus far will keep them to the very end. It's as we look back to things seen. Isn't this true? Hasn't this been shown true in your own life? It's as we look back to things seen where we find the strength to look to things unseen. I don't know exactly what this year holds for me or for you. We make our plans, but of course the Lord directs our steps. I'm sure there will be blessings aplenty. Sure of it. And I'm equally sure that some of them will come by way of unexpected hardship. But as believers in God's sovereignty, we know... There is purpose even in the pain. Because of this, the Bible says to rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts. And I take that to mean that hope is more real and precious to those who are refined through trial because they are finding in that experience that God is greater 
than the trial. So hold fast. For he who promised is faithful. Exhorted to draw near. Exhorted to hold fast. And then exhorted to consider one another. Verse 24. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Here we're admonished to look outside ourselves for the betterment of our brothers and sisters in Christ. To give careful thought and consideration about how we might lovingly spur on one another. There are many ways to do this, of course. Let me just share one as an example. One of the great benefits of our annual year-end service of praise and testimony, what we call Sharing Sunday, is simply creating space and opportunity to hear from one another and to share life together. So last Sunday, as we gathered in this room to share some of our stories from the past year and to listen to the stories of others, we were stirred toward love and good works. Whether it was Elva's conversation about the young woman she met on the plane or Tracy's relationship with a fellow volunteer at the cat shelter with whom she prayed, or Sally's testimony about how God provided for our niece's wedding, or Matthew's comments about how he has finally found a spiritual family, and it's here in this congregation. You see, the more we learn about each other, the closer we're drawn to each other, the more I hear about the things that God is doing in your lives, the more I'm reminded of His grace in mine. The more I hear of the good works that you're engaged in, the more I want to walk in the works He's prepared for me. Sometimes making time for each other to simply see and hear another person's heart for God is what's needed to stir your own. Could it be that that's why verse 25 cautions against neglecting those opportunities? Those opportunities to meet together. Listen, spotty church attendance is not a new issue. Or confined to our culture only, but obviously was the habit of some even then. So this instruction applies to all of us by urging each of us to see ourselves as a necessary part of a collective whole. The bottom line is that we need each other. And what this verse is saying, and really the entire passage, is that neglecting the church not only robs you of the benefits, but also robs those around you who would benefit from your participation. In fact, Tim Challies uh, makes this point from this passage when he says to stop viewing the church through our Western individualized eyes in an online article titled The Worst Consequence of Skipping Church. He wrote, 
Gathering with God's people is not first about being blessed, but about being a blessing. It's not first about getting, but about giving. As we prepare to worship on Sunday morning, our first consideration should be how to stir up one another to love and good works. We should approach Sunday deliberately, eager to do good to others, to be a blessing to them. In those times, we feel our zeal waning when we feel the temptation to skip out on a Sunday or withdraw altogether, we should consider our God-given responsibility to encourage one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This text is not about us, he concludes, but about them. This text is not for Christian individuals, he says, but Christian communities. We must each understand that our relationship with the Lord is, is more than just me and Jesus. Because Jesus not only brings us into communion with God, but also into the community of God's people. In fact, the entire context of the passage is community. Notice the words we, us, are in nearly every verse. Though we come to Christ individually and are individually born of the Spirit, we are born into a family of faith, what verse 21 calls the house of God. Just as there is interconnectedness between the members of our immediate families, there is similar interdependence between us and fellow members of God's spiritual family. And this mutual, the mutual, back and forth, heart-stirring, love-building, good work-producing relationships in the church are essential to the Christian life and all the more as we eagerly await Christ's return. Now, already this morning from Andre and then from Frank and even in one of our songs, East Parkway, you know that we want to be a community for the cause of Christ. But for this to occur, we must continue being a community. Which means investing in the lives of each other while allowing others to invest in ours. And so I want to wrap this up with some questions for you to consider. Who, specifically, who from this congregation have you considered recently in this way? Who have you taken notice of and thought, how can I come alongside to encourage and stir them to greater love and good works? How can I be used of God for their benefit? Even now, I'm curious, just to yourselves, is there someone God 
is placing on your heart, and if so, will you consider, please, even this week, how you might stir them up and encourage them on? You know, Sally and I were talking just the other day. This is a wonderful, I mean, this is where technology is really serving us well. Sally and I were talking the other day of how a simple text sent at an unexpected time to just say, I'm thinking about you, appreciate you, love you, praying for you. How that can make all the difference in the world. So who are you considering? Who from this congregation are, have you considered in this way? Secondly, and this may be a bit more difficult, who from this congregation has a voice into your life? Who do you allow in? With whom are you transparent and vulnerable? So many of the transformative moments in my life have come after a, a Christian brother or sister has considered how to stir me up and spur me on. And I'm convinced that if you do not have these kind of people in your life, if you're unwilling to let them in, then your growth in the Lord will be stunted. You know, this is the primary reason for our midweek life groups. In fact, did you happen to notice last week how three different people in three different seasons of life each testified on three different occasions to how their involvement in a midweek life group has had an obvious and positive effect on their growth in the Lord and their relationships in the church? It's important. Because it's about being the church to one another. And so church, as we stand on the front edge of yet another year, be encouraged. Jesus has done for you what you could never do for yourself, for in Christ, God has brought you near. So draw near to Him in full assurance of faith. Hold fast to hope without wavering and stir up one another to love and good works. And when this year gives way to next, let it be said of us that our confidence was always in Christ as we committed to one another as a community for His cause. Amen to that? Amen. God, we thank You for, the, for speaking to us today. Thank You for reminding us of many things we many of us already knew. Thank you for your patience with us. Thank you for your kindness toward us in this way. And now we just would pray for your help to apply these truths to our lives.
for your glory, Father, and for the good of your people. 